So this is Super Bowl Sunday, and since all of my Niners gear is in mourning right now, (laughs) I'm wearing my Uganda national team jersey. Uh, It is Super Bowl Sunday, and and it just brings to mind my favorite definition of a football game. And I think I've said this before, but if you haven't heard it, the definition of a football game is it's 11 players on the field desperately in need of rest, surrounded by 60,000 fans desperately in need of exercise. And that pretty much sums it up. Uh, We are wrapping up this series we're calling Vital Signs, and we're looking at all of these different key areas of our life and um, taking some time at the beginning of the year to kind of assess each one of those and and how we're doing at each one. And we started in week one with um, our, our spiritual health. And how do you know in your relationship with God how you're doing? And what does that look like when, when you're living healthy uh, spiritually? And then, of course, that spills into our relationships with each other. And uh, we talked about relational health. And how do you assess the, the health of your relationships? Uh, we talked about emotional health and, um, and what that looks like. And then last week, we talked about financial health. And one of the things that we found through this whole series is how they are all so connected to one another. That your relationship with God, your spiritual health, really spills over into your relationship with other people. And in fact, Jesus said that's one of the ways of judging your relationship with God is how you're doing with the people around you. And of course, that affects your emotional well-being and your emotional health. Finances definitely have an impact on every other area of our lives. And today we're going to be talking about um, physical health and what that looks like. And I I was reading this week, uh, it was a really interesting study. It was put out by a group called One Health. And uh, they did a poll to see, why do people not go to the doctor? And, and the number one reason was not because they couldn't afford it. It was fascinating to me. The number one reason, that people, 64% of the people said the reason they do not go visit the doctor is they're afraid of getting bad news. It's like, if I don't know, I won't die from it. You know, <laughs> like that really makes sense. And actually, there's another 40, 45, 46% of them said um, that when they do visit the doctor, they don't tell them everything truthfully because they're afraid they're going to get lectured or they're going to feel guilty about it. So it's crazy because we want to be healthy physically, but we do these things that are not healthy for us. Um, So today we're going to be talking about our physical health, but not just those vital signs like respiration, heartbeat, you know, all of those things. More, I want to talk about it from the aspect of our health that's connected to our spiritual lives. And how our physical health and our spiritual health are connected. In fact, our overall health is all connected. Um, And it goes back to, back in Jesus' day, uh, there was a very popular uh, philosophy. uh, It was called Gnosticism. And, And the idea behind Gnosticism was that everything spiritual is what counts. And the physical or the body doesn't count for anything. Um, And so that's why um, you've probably heard of these Gnostic Gospels. Um, And they kind of have an over-spiritualized description of Jesus. Because they had a really hard time with the thought that God would actually come and enter a human body. Um, But of course, John's Gospel makes it clear. The Word became flesh. But but they have a hard time with that. Now, the opposite end of, of the Gnostics were the Epicureans. And they were all about physical pleasure. You know, it's like life is what you get out of it and get as much out of it as you possibly can. Neither one of those are the biblical concept behind our bodies. If you think back to when Jesus was asked, what's the most important command? What's the greatest commandment? 
What he did was he quoted the Shema from the Old Testament. And every, every follower, every God follower, every Jew would know the answer to that one. His answer was this, and we all know it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, we kind of have a handle on the heart, soul, mind part, but what does it mean to, to worship God and to, to obey the Lord with all your strength, to love the Lord with all your strength? He's talking about your body. He's talking about your physical well-being. That's how you honor God and love God with your strength. Um, Paul wrote about the very, very same thing in, uh, in his letter to the Roman church, Romans 12.1. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, he says, is your true and proper worship. In other words, how you live your life in this body is an act of worship. Your actions, your behaviors, your attitudes, your, uh, all of that stuff. He said that how you live your life is an act of worship. In fact, we made one of our core values around here that worship is a lifestyle. It's, it's living in worship, not just what we do for an hour on a Sunday morning. Because that's the biblical view behind it. So what does that look like? For you and me in our physical bodies every day, what does that look like? Now, there aren't many uh, passages in Scripture that, that talk specifically about this, but there is one in particular that does. Um, it's 1 Corinthians, which is actually a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. And what's interesting about this is there were particular issues going on in the church, and, and a lot of them had to do with their bodies. One of them was about sexual immorality that was happening in the church um, because they lived in a very permissive society. In fact, the sexual resol- revolution did not start in the 1960s, folks. It has been around a lot longer than that. And in Corinth, that was a particularly big deal. And the other one had to do with what they ate. And it was about eating meat that had been offered and sacrificed to idols. Is it okay to eat that meat when it's been offered to, to an idol. You know? And so there were issues about what you put into your body and, and how you treat your body. And that's what Paul addressed in his first letter to the Corinthian church. Chapter 6, if you want to follow along, this is what Paul wrote, beginning in verse 12. It says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for food, God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Verse 18, so flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How do you do that? What does that look like? And for each one of these, as we've been going through this series, I've been giving you a little scale on the bottom of each point, um, if you're using the outline there in your, in your program, um, on a scale of 1 to 10. And so, again, today I'm going to ask you to kind of rate yourself and to see, where am I doing, how am I doing in each one of these areas? And I'm going to give you three questions that you can answer, and that will help you assess how you're doing in terms of your physical health. Again, not just blood, res- uh, respiration, heartbeat, those kinds of things, but, but how it relates to the rest of your life. And the first question to ask yourself, it's much like the one we asked when we talked about emotions. Do I control my appetites? 
or do they control me? See, God created you as a physical being. Part of who you are is you've got a body. He created you with that body. And with that body, with that creation comes appetites and desires. And they serve a purpose. They are God's gift to you. Appetites and desires are not necessarily bad. In fact, they're they're good. God created you with those things. And they serve a purpose. For instance, if you never had an appetite or desire for food, you would not live very long on this earth. It's that appetite, it's that desire for food that keeps you sustaining your body. If you never had sexual desire, if none of us ever had sexual desire, we would not last very long as a species. We would disappear pretty quickly. God created you with that. God God created you and I with these desires, including all of these different appetites. God never had to command Adam to be one flesh with Eve. He already gave him that desire. It was already there. It's how he created him. And that's what our desires are all about. The problem happens, the problem happens when our bodies or our appetites and desires start running the show. When they take control, that's when stuff starts to fall apart. That's what Paul was writing about in verse 12. He says, I have the right to do anything. Yeah, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want with my body. But not everything's beneficial. I can do whatever, but, but not everything I do is necessarily going to be good for me. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And that's what he's talking about. Do I control my appetites or do they control me? Appetites are very, very good. They are God-given, but they make terrible masters. Dallas Willard talks about this when he talks about who we are as people, how God created us. And actually, uh, John Ortberg expands on that a little bit um, in a book he wrote, came out a couple of years ago called Soul Keeping. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start, we're going to do a whole series on that, understanding who we are and what, pl- what part our soul plays in all of that. So I'm going to give you a, just a brief overview, hopefully what your appetite for in a couple of weeks. But, but here's the idea behind us. At the core of who you are, you have a will. The Bible calls this your heart. To love the Lord with all your heart is to make decisions that honor him. Because that's your will. Your heart is your will. It's the decisive center of who you are. But that's not all you are. You have a will. You have a heart. But along with that, you have a mind. And the mind, that's, that's our thoughts and our feelings. And, and, and very often, uh, we use our mind to determine our will. Or very often, our will will determine what we think. And then beyond that, we have a body. And that's kind of the, the, this little power pack. That's, that's the one part in all creation that you have some sort of control over. Okay, That's your little world. But it doesn't stop there. There is one more aspect of who we are, and it's called the soul. And it's the soul that unifies and integrates all of these things together. And when your soul which is the part of you that is meant to be in community with God, when the soul is running everything else, and I am right in my relationship with God, and I'm right, right in my relationships with other people, and my, and my mind and my thoughts and my emotions are, are whole, life is functioning as God designed it to be. What happens is 
when the body hijacks everything, that's when stuff goes wrong. And that's what he writes about. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Your body was given to you, and it gave you great desires, but not to just satisfy your body. Your body is meant for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. In Ephesians, he wrote this to the Ephesian church. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Excess, when the body takes control, when the body hijacks and takes control of everything, life begins to fall apart. It disintegrates. Because the soul is intended to keep it all together. But when the body takes over, what happens is it starts changing the way that I think and my attitudes. And, and, and then what happens is it starts to give in to my, my will, starts to give in to all of that. You ever found yourself, I know the good I ought to do, but I don't do it. And the things I don't want to do and I know are not good for me, I do anyway. That's what's going on. Because everything's falling apart. That's what makes sin so, so destructive. Not because it's bad things. It's destructive because it affects your soul. And your soul is the deepest part of who you are. And what happens when, when that downward spiral, spiral starts to take place, what, what happens is the body starts to take more and more control and we begin to give in, give in more and more with our will. And then our mind has to figure out what's going on. And so we rationalize our behavior. And we make excuses for ourselves because our body has hijacked everything and our, our mind has got to kind of make sense of it all. But what happens is if we continue to progress in that, what happens is fulfilling those appetites become habits and addictions. And it gets to the point where our mind cannot make sense of it anymore and we just start saying, well, that's who I am. Never going to change. And that will be the case unless something is done to integrate everything back. And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. This is, this is fascinating to me. That Jesus solved a soul, a spiritual problem by becoming human flesh. And then in this flesh sacrifice on the cross, he was redeeming us. Not just our soul, but our body, our mind, our spirit, our every part of it, our heart, every part of it. Through a physical act of a physical being, God restored the way it was supposed to be from the beginning. And, and that, by the way, that is why the 12-step programs are so powerful when they're fully understood. Because the first step is, I recognize that I am out of control. I'm, I, I'm unmanageable. That I, that I don't have control. My will cannot change this. And, and so what happens is I realize I need a power greater than myself because I can't fix this on my own. And then the third step is, so I surrender my will and my life to him. Now, very often talks about it as just some generic higher power, but that higher power is God and what he did through Jesus Christ. We can't fix this on our own. By the way, that is why spiritual disciplines are so vital for us. Because things like worship and, and, and prayer and, and meditation and, and, um, and all of these spiritual disciplines, we don't do them just to say we, we did them and check them off on a box so we can be good little Christians. 
What they do is they redirect our soul and our mind and our bodies all back towards God, which is where they're meant to be directed in the first place. You see? So the big question is, when it comes down to it, do I control my appetites or do they control me? So on your scale of 1 to 10, 1 being I am totally out of control, my appetites are controlling me. To 10, I have everything completely under control. Where would you put yourself? Paul put it this way. He says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Second question. Do I regularly engage in healthy activities? Because your body is not just a set of appetites. It is also actions and behavior. The things that you do, you do bodily. And some of our actions and some of our behavior promote health. And some of our actions and behavior are detrimental to health. So the question is, am I doing anything that is engaging in healthy activities? Because as much as it depends on us, we are responsible for our physical health. And that means exercise. Paul put it this way. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you've received from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In other words, take care of it. Now, I know know there are diseases. I know there's illness. There are some things that are beyond our control. But what was within our control, take control. Engage in in things that, that, that restore and renew your body, that keep your body healthy. Now, that's much easier when you're young because you're, you're vital, you're healthy, you're doing things, you're involved, you do all kinds of activity. Now that I'm into my 60s, this is a lot harder. It was much easier when I was in my 20s. When I was in my 20s, well, I, I looked like this. Yeah. My wife said, you wish. <laughs> or I wish. No, I don't. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. It's much easier when you're young. When you get older, it's tough. But you've got to do something that, that restores your body. And don't get sucked into what our culture says is the perfect body. That's just a lie. That is unattainable. Even the people that you see in advertisements that have that perfect body, they've been photoshopped too. I'm just telling you. What you do is you take care of the body that you have. And it's not about perfection and it's not about how I look. It's about health. Do the things that are healthy. Just do what you can. Paul wrote about it this way, his own dedication. He said, I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Now, he's not just talking about his spiritual health because he goes on. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it. To do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. What he's saying is, if I am not taking care of my body, if I am not disciplined in my behaviors and in my actions, then I run the risk of ruining whatever my testimony might be to other people about God. So he says, I have to take care of that, and I do. And it comes down to that word discipline. (laughs) That's the key word. Exercise, some form 
of exercise. When I was younger and I was working for my dad and I was doing construction, I was doing all kinds of physical things. I was, I was really engaged and I, and I was healthier. I, you know, just, I was stronger, all of those things. And, and then um, when I left uh, construction and, and actually in our kids' I uh, started growing up and I started coaching. I started, that was good for me too because I was running. Part of my thing when I was coaching my daughter's uh, soccer team and the uh, under 16s team is I was in charge of the physical conditioning. I ran the laps with the girls. I ran the hills up and down with the girls. I did it because I needed physical exercise. I refereed soccer. You want good exercise? Referee a soccer game. Run the center. You run more than the rest of the team. Because you run the, boat, the diagonal both ways, okay? You nonstop for 90 minutes pretty much except for halftime. I was in great shape. When all of that started moving away from my life and I moved away from it, I, my life became much more sedentary. And I realized I was not in as good a shape as I had been. So about five or six years ago, I decided I need to do something about that. So I took up running. Now, I do not like running. I'm just going to tell you, my philosophy all through life has been, there's no need to run unless somebody's chasing you with a machete. (laughs) But I had to do something, and that was the cheapest. I already had a pair of tennis shoes, so I could do that. Um, But here's the thing. There's discipline there. You don't decide to run the morning when you wake up. You decide the night before. Because if you decide the morning when you wake up, you're not going to do it. It's a discipline, and you have to do it. Now, I am going to, I will, public confession here, with the weather we've been having, whether it's raining or freezing cold in the morning, I have not been running for a few months, okay? I'm just going to face up to that. I need to get back into it. But here's the thing. When you're involved in physical exercise, it affects your emotions, too. Endorphins kick in, and it changes your whole perspective. It just, it's good for the body. It is good for the mind. It is good for the soul, Exercise is so important. Some form of physical activity. So on your chart there, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you? 1 being I don't exercise at all. I am a couch potato with cheese on it. (laughs) Or 10 being I I exercise and I do something every day. Just where your mark goes. By the way, you don't have to show this paper to anybody else. This is just for your own edification. Last question. And it has to do with pace of life. Is my pace of life renewing or depleting? Our physical health is greatly impacted by the pace of our lives. Meyer Friedman, a cardiologist, uh, way back in the 1950s, um, he noticed something. Actually, his upholsterer noticed something um, because he had to reupholster the chairs in his waiting room. And what his upholsterer said, there was an excess of wear on the front edge of the seat. Started thinking about that. People are sitting like on the edge of their seats in the waiting room. There was excess of wear on the arms toward the front. That that people were just so on edge, they were actually sitting on edge in the waiting room and wearing out the front part of his seats. And he started doing some more in-depth work on this, started doing more study on it. And he coined a phrase that has been with us ever since called hurry sickness. And it has to do with the pace of our lives. Because what he found was those patients of his that were those kind of type A front edge seat wearer outers had incredible problems cardiovascularly. Cardiovascularly. That they were some of his worst patients. 
that, that the pace of life was affecting their physical health. Not only that, as more studies have been done, it affects every other area of your life. The pace of your life affects everything. It affects your physical, it affects your emotional, it affects your relational, it affects your spiritual life. So what is the pace of your life? Because ultimately it impacts your soul. I'll give you a little test. came up with a, a few little things. The, the symptoms of hurry sickness. Here's the first one. When you go to the grocery store, when you use the express checkout lane, do you count the number of items in the cart of the person in front of you to see if they're cheating? <laughs> or, or if you go to the regular lines, do you choose a checkout line by doing a quick calculation in your head of the number of people in line times the number of things in their basket to see which one will go first? And then once you choose a lane, okay, here's a good one. Once you choose a lane, do you find the alternate you in the other lane and see who gets checked out first? (laughs) And if you get checked out before they get checked out, you do a little happy dance inside because you won? (laughs) You might have hurry sickness. When you're driving, do you count... Count the cars in front of you and then get in the lane that has the least number of cars or at least is going the fastest? When you pull up to a red light, do you choose the lane that looks like it will get moving the fastest once it turns green? Do you multitask? Do you multitask to the point of forgetting one of the tasks? (laughs) Do you eat lunch at your desk while also checking email and talking on the phone? Do you ever accidentally put on your clothes inside out or backwards? Because you're in such a hurry. And I love this one. (laughs) When microwaving something for 30 seconds, do you feel the urge to find something else to do while you wait? (laughs) That's hurry sickness. Now, hurry is not the same as busy. Okay, there are seasons of life when we are busy. There are deadlines, there are responsibilities, there are, there are things that, that they just have to be done, and there are seasons like that. But that better not be a way of life. And when you find yourself in one of those seasons when outwardly all the stuff is demanding on you, just feeling tired and worn down, make sure that you tend to your soul. Paul wrote about this, his second letter to the Corinthians. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Yeah, there'll be seasons when it feels like you're just dead tired and you're worn out physically. But please, please make sure that you renew yourself inside day by day. Jesus did this. Jesus' ministry was incredibly busy. People had demands on him all the time. Crowds of people following him, wanting to touch him, wanting to talk with him, wanting to hear from him, wanting to keep him, all kinds of things. And it says about Jesus in, in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 5, that the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people, crowds of people came to hear him. And what did he do? He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He carved out time to care for his soul. If Jesus needed to do that, what makes you think you don't? In fact, I take this one literally. Matthew's gospel actually goes further on. It says that Jesus withdrew by boat to a solitary place. 
I take that literally. That's the best thing you can do. Go out on a boat. And all the sailors said, amen. Yes. All right. All of creation has a rhythm to it. God created the universe with a rhythm. Things move in an orderly way. The earth revolves around the sun 365 days, and then it starts all over again. It rotates on its axis every 24 hours. There is a rhythm to it. God established at creation a rhythm for your life and mine, that every seventh day you rest. You rest. That is a rhythm thing, and you need it. And it's not just laying in your pajamas in front of the TV or reading the Sunday Chronicle. It's about resting every aspect of your being. It's about restoring your soul. And you need that. You need that. I need that to rest and replenish and renew our whole being in Him. So, on a scale of 1 to 10 on your paper... Number one being, my life is, the pace of my life is 120 miles an hour. (laughs) Or a 10 being, it is a slow and steady rhythm to it. Where would you rate yourself? Jesus said this. Come to me, all of you who labor and burden, and I will give you Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Would you bow your heads with me? God intends for us to live healthy lives in every aspect of it. Heart, soul, mind, strength body, mind, spirit, all of that. So here is my question. When it comes to your physical well-being and those three questions, is there a particular area of your physical health that needs some attention right now? It might be getting better control on your appetites. It might be just getting some physical exercise. Or it might be just simply slowing down the pace of your life. I'm going to invite you to make a decision about that today. Because it will not change unless you change it. And that starts with an act of the will. You can make a decision today. And if there's some aspect of your physical well-being that we've talked about today that you're just willing to say, God, I can't control this. My life has become unmanageable in this area. I need a strength greater than myself. I am turning this over to you. And I will make a decision about this and live this way by your strength. And you could use some prayer in that. God's help, because he's here to help you. Would you just raise your hand, hold it up, Let me see, because I want to pray with you and pray for you as we close. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, This is not something that's unique to a few of us. It affects all of us to some degree. Now, maybe you're here today, 
and you don't know the power of God in your life because you've never really surrendered. You've never made a first step of faith to just say, God, I can't fix my life. I have been running at a pace. It affects me spiritually. It affects me physically. I have struggles. I have failures, mistakes. I've sinned. And I need your forgiveness. I need your strength and your power in my life. And today for you, it would be a first step of faith. Just that willingness to admit your need, to ask for his strength, his forgiveness, and then surrendering your life to him. And if you've never done that before, but today for you, it's a first step of faith. Same thing, would you just raise your hand? And when you do, look up, catch my eye because I want to acknowledge you, pray with you, and pray for you as we close. Anybody? All right. Yeah. So I'm going to invite you to this prayer. And whether it's a first-time decision or just this particular area of my life, it's the same thing. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We have enough failures. We have enough mistakes. We have enough struggles. We have enough sin to prove that. We're just coming to you in our weakness and asking for your strength. We are admitting our need and we're asking for your forgiveness. We're turning our lives over to you whether it's a first time or renewal in this particular area of my life, God, would you show me how to follow you with this? Let your grace and your mercy, what you did on the cross, wash over me, renew me, cleanse me. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.